say, I do kind of just want to talk about Triangle of Sadness. Oh, <laughs> man. It's so good. What a great... <laughs> it's just a banger. It's a banger. Man, it, yeah, it's a good time, folks. If it's out there, still in the theaters for you, go see it with a group because, um, like, it's a it's a profoundly strong the bigger the room is with the more people in the room because there's some stuff in there that you can't unsee. <laughs> I would say, like, we're so lucky that we live in LA because, like, yeah, I, know. I, I, I saw uh, at the AMC at the Grove, I saw Triangle of Sadness, and LA is such an insane town that it was, like, a totally packed theater. And it's like a nuts. It's ex, it's a nuts experience watching that with a packed theater because like, I mean people I think left to vomit at certain points. The, it, there is something very like I feel very thankful too because it's like the opportunities you can get without even being like in the mix or in the scene you, that you could just kind of like oh I got this email <laughs> like I get on the right email list you know I saw it last weekend at noon at a screening mm-hmm. room. In Ella, in on Sunset, and oh, Ruben Oslin was there, and it was like, man, and it was free. Hey, <laughs> yeah, it was like what time? LA, LA sucks, but that rules. That is like literally the one thing that keeps me in this horrible hog town. Like the, the one, it's like you yeah, can, I know. It's like it's like uh, well, we we get the movies three weeks earlier. That was you know was like, more of them. When I lived in Seattle, it was like. You know, like something like I don't know, there will be blood comes out in L.A. four weeks before I get to see it. I'm just sitting there on the edge of my seat, like God damn it, I've got to see this movie. Yeah, <laughs> like in Houston is like even worse because there's really just like maybe like two theaters that play like non like you know the big movies. Mm-hmm. Like there's like you know Angelica Films. I don't even know if the Angelica Film Center is around anymore. Some of those theaters might be gone. Um, yeah, didn't survive but- the pandemic, maybe. Yeah, but uh, uh, I was going to say, too, like, uh, just a testament to what you were saying, like, uh, I remember, I think I said this last uh, last year on the pod, but I went into, like, uh, a showing of Red Rocket at the Grove, and, like, and I didn't even know that uh, apparently Sean Baker was doing a Q&A, and I had no idea. Yeah. And so after the movie, it was, like, Sean Baker and uh, the, the star, what was, what's that guy's name again? Simon Rex. I mean, we're both there. And it was yeah. just, like, shit. Like, I just, I stumbled on this, like, a big ding dong. It's very, um, not, not enough of a reason necessarily to move to Los Angeles, but certainly the best thing in Los Angeles is that stuff. It is genuinely, like, it is the best. Like, yeah, because, like, you know, that's pretty good here. That's all right. And, like, the people are nice for the most part. You'll find your group eventually. You'll, you'll, you'll move here and find your group. And, mm-hmm. Your group's usually nice if you have a good head on your shoulders. But, uh, yeah, like, yeah, it's just, it's the movies, baby. It's the sweet, sweet movies. So that was uh, Are You Thinking About Moving to Los Angeles Tips. Hello, and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actress' esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Gremion. Welcome to The Academy. And Patrick, our... Are we being watched? Uh oh. Oh no. Oh, the surveil no. the surveillance state is real. Ask Regina King. Of course, we are talking about enemy of the state this week. Tony Scott's um, American political action thriller film from nineteen ninety eight. Man, Pat, had you seen this one before? 
No, oh. it was a treat. A treat. It is a treat. It is indeed a treat. Uh, I saw it opening weekend, of course, because this is like. <laughs> uh, so in the late '90s, when I was in high school, and the internet was still a sleeping giant, mm. we did not have the opportunity just to scroll shit and make videos and take photos and that kind of thing. So we had to consistently look for things to do. So that meant usually driving around, going to Sherry's or Denny's, and then going to see whatever movie came out that Friday, <laughs> one of which was Enemy of the State. And remember, loved it in the moment. And I have watched it a couple times in recent years and loved it the other night, without a doubt. It's a, this is a absolute blast of a movie. It is a blast of a film. It was very funny. The um, the one thing that Tony Scott book said this time about its release was, uh, what was it? It lost out. It was a uh, second place to the Reptar, or not the Reptar, the, the Rugrats movie. And he, and he, the line that stuck out to me was like, "Animation always wins." Something <laughs> <laughs> about that, like this, but hey, it, it didn't drop as much as the. I think it, I think it's uh, mm-hmm. surpassed the Rugrats movie. Uh, Round two. Well, I will say opening weekend, I made my choice and my my hard-earned cash, comic book store cash, went to Enemy of the State. I have never, to this day, I've never seen the Rugrats movie. (laughs) Tommy Pickle snubbed. Tommy Pickle snubbed. He got blasted by that fire truck. (laughs) We'll we'll talk about that a bit. Um, Enemy of the State is available to rent through all of the streaming services. I Rented it off of Amazon. Did you? I'm guessing you were probably an uh, Amazon boy as well. Yeah, I'm an Amazon boy as well. Uh, it's also available on Blu-ray. Um, I almost picked it up because I was curious about a Tony Scott commentary track, but no commentary track on this Blu-ray. Interestingly enough, Weird. isn't he usually or, like he's a he's a he's a, uh, a commentary guy usually? He is a con- yeah yeah both he and Ridley um, fairly regular in the commentaries, um, but yeah. That's plenty of places to see it. Uh, we definitely recommend checking it out now. Okay, now that you've checked it out, let's talk about it. <laughs> let's dig in. The magic of audio, the audio medium. Uh, the So in 1998, Tony Scott was, of course, coming off of another failure at the box office and critically in The Fan, mm-hmm. a movie that... We've had some fun with on the show, but I think we could freely admit that uh, on the kind of lower side of our Tony Scott rankings, probably in terms of favorite ones that we have watched thus far. And I do like the author of the uh, book we're reading, Tony Scott, a filmmaker on fire, Larry Taylor, who, um, you know, talking about some of Tony's financial movies financial losses that have kind of found an audience like the hunger revenge and especially true romance they've kind of found an audience but he wrote of, of the fan the fan however has yet to see any sign of resurgence and likely will never find its retroactive moment to the sun his opinion is known so it was very interesting we've kind of brought this up on the show before that anytime tony kind of goes into his own world tends to be like a seedier Mm-hmm. cynical nastier movie um the box office returns haven't been there in the same way when he's in that nice safe glove that is the simpson bruckheimer universe yeah. the the revenges of the world 
the true romances of the world, even to a lesser extent, the last Boy Scouts of the world, um, don't have the broad appeal in the same vein. It's tough not to crack. And for the majority of his early career, the first half of Tony's career, he was almost doing one for one for the Simpson Bruckheimer territory, one in the Tony territory. Mm. This one, Enemy of the State, is indeed produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. Um, you got to love that thunderstorm and hitting the tree in the oh. beginning of the movie. We know what's coming. We know what's I coming, love, don't we? I, I love the thunderstorm. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I did not know this, you know, that this apparently was one of the final stories that Simpson and Bruckheimer broke and began working on because, like you have mentioned previously, one of them read about the surveillance state in some magazine, probably in like the dentist waiting room or something <laughs> yeah. like that. And we're like, that's a movie. Well, you're right. That is a movie. <laughs> it was called the it's called the conversation no 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 <laughs> <laughs> so um they began developing it of course don simpson passed away but um jerry Bruckheimer films under the umbrella of disney and kind of he went he at least when i in the late 90s when i was really watching all these a lot he was pretty synonymous with like touchstone pictures and Hollywood pictures. Like those yeah. logos were back to back on pretty much all of his movies. And he was bringing the big bucks in the Disney adult division, like in general. <laughs> um, and so they, they, they came up with this, they began drafting up a screenplay. They brought in a screenwriter by the name of David Marconi hmm. to, um, Burgeoning writer director Patrick hit me to a movie he directed that we called The Harvest, starring uh, Academy Academy favorite Miguel Ferrer. Henry Silva's in it too, as is Harvey Firestein. So we got a nice <laughs> cast. <laughs> more the more I read and learn about this, the more I'm sold on it. It sounds um, and George Clooney's briefly in it. I'm just sitting on the Wikipedia page because <laughs> um, he because Clooney and Miguel Ferrer were cousins. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. I just um, I love the the poster. Like the tagline is, uh, "Charlie's living his movie script. The good parts, the sexy parts, the body parts, the body parts." Um, <laughs> and Marconi's kind of had a, um, you know, he's been all over the place. He mm -hmm. wrote for the GI Joe cartoon show in the late eighties that I certainly watched a lot of <laughs> in nineteen eighty six. Um, he, oh, wow. he worked he worked on both Rumblefish and The Outsiders uh, as a production okay. aide. Um, and his most recent credit appears he wrote for The Foreigner starring Jackie Chan. Oh, um, weird. So, you know, guy's been around the block, you know, just kind of a, um, you know, Hollywood man, if you will. Hollywood man. <laughs> um, and they brought him in and they, they kind of thought they're, they thought, what a great idea to inject kind of. A 90s feel on this high-tech surveillance, but kind of harkening back to the um, paranoia thrillers of mm -hmm. the 70s, like The Parallax View or Marathon Man, Three Days of Condor, and of course, 1974's The Conversation, written and directed by Francis Ford Coppola, which the shadow of that movie hangs greatly over this, yes. and we'll get into some of the reasons. One one gigantic reason why, but some other reasons <laughs> why that is the case. Um, Bruckheimer sent the first draft to Tony Scott, who initially declined. 
um, he wanted to kind of beef up the story. He thought like he was kind of intrigued, but he mm -hmm. felt like there could be more. And this is like, I mean, every single story you read about making a movie in Hollywood, it, it almost always starts with the director saying, the first draft was shit, but then I yeah. came in. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I brought my boys. And I, I brought my boys. So this time, and we know that Tony Scott has got, had a Rolodex of top of the line writers oh and the uncredited script doctors on enemy of the state is proof of that once again uh it's, it's the, crazy the first person brought in to punch up the script was of course aaron sorkin hmm. who was just coming off of few good men malice the american president and we are smell that in the air that's the west wing it's coming, <laughs> it's, coming huh? it's coming baby <laughs> and um so he worked on the script for about two weeks fleshing out the characters, sharpening dialogue um and the other thing to note too was um this same first draft the marconi first draft was immediately sent to the one person that they thought should play one of the co-leads and that is of course the great gene hackman Gene also had strong reservations about this script and passed initially, but they continued to push it on him by bringing in people like Sorkin to bust out the character. The other thing to take note of is Hackman and Tony Scott got along swimmingly mm -hmm. on Crimson Tide and were eager to do another project together So, <laughs> the, as a team environment. So... As long as the script was right, they were in. So punching up, who another screenwriter brought in to punch up the paranoia aspect. That's right, Tony Gilroy, the mastermind mm. of the Bourne series, Michael Clayton, creator himself. What a and, brand. Appara and apparently um, his Star Wars thing has been quite successful I'm, that he yeah. just did. Yeah, everyone's telling me Andor is like the best Star Wars thing since... Uh you know, the original trilogy or whatever, Star, which is surprising. Yeah. I mean, I will never see it, but <laughs> I have faith that it's probably better than others. <laughs> um, I don't want to know about the exploits of uh, Saboba. I don't, like, yeah. Nah, I think you're good. I think uh, you're good. An origin story of Tom Wilkinson and Michael Clayton. If that can get Tony Gilroy getting one of those, I'm in. <laughs> yes. How does he open that bakery? And then they brought in um, script doctor Henry Bean, who had written uh, movies like Internal Affairs and the absolutely badass Deep Cover. Um, it was like at the murders. This might be one of the best. Like, absolutely nuts. <laughs> and they they all came in to polish it up to make things very satisfactory to Tony Scott and Gene Hackman. Hmm. Now you may be asking. The only other apparently the only other actor who was considered for the role of Edward Brill Lyle, the part Gene Hackman ends up playing, was naturally Sean Connery. Uh, and frankly, yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, yeah I, I just gave a contemplative, like, yeah, I, I, I can find that. It'd, it'd be a different, you know, different character, but I'd, I'd, I'd be down with it. Yeah, but the reason why Gene Hackman was the number one choice is that he is the lead. Not only is he a great actor, he's perfect for the role, but he there is he is the lead of Francis Ford Coppola's film The Conversation. Now, if you're not familiar with The Conversation, it is on Paramount Plus right now and Showtime. You can um, 
if you have those, we recommend you watch it immediately. If you haven't seen it before, <laughs> it's pretty damn good. <laughs> and basically, in that film, he plays a surveillance expert named Harry Call, mm-hmm. also a man, a passionate jazz man. Yeah, he loves his saxophone. <laughs> and uh, it's it basically so uh, taking a cue from Michelangelo Antonio's blow up. He is recording a conversation between two illicit lovers and believes he's hearing more in it than is there. Is he right? Is he wrong? You just have to see the movie. <laughs> but yeah, I, it, it, constantly in my head, I'm like, do I like this more than Rumblefish? Do I, or do I like Rumblefish? Like, those are like the two, my two favorite Coppola. Like, it's such a, it's such a perfect film. Beginning, middle, and end, the way and the way it builds and the dramatic conclusion. Like, ah, oh, God. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's incredibly 70s. It's downbeat. It's, oh, it's sad. It's not it's, fun. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a bummer. Yeah. It's a bummer trip. It's so, like, all I could think about is, like, his office with that cage in the middle, but all that space, that negative space that's around it. And, like, the scene where he's there doing the party with Ellen Garfield. Like him off to the side and all that. Oh, just, it's so beautiful. It's so like beautifully directed. It's like yeah, he's so just so alone. Like yeah, when he's with the girl and they're like kind of in that like weird liminal space almost. Yeah, and, it's like, amazing. He's just, he's just like walking away from her and she's trying to get a little closer and it takes so long for them to finally connect. It's yeah, man. And he discovers in conversation, not to get too spoilery, that perhaps vulnerability in his line of work is a poor decision and can lead only to negative things and that's kind of and it's just so paranoid and it's so it's just every character Copeland introduces you don't trust at all Harrison Ford is genuinely sinister in it in a really cool way. It might be one of his best because, like, I think so many people in their heads think of Harrison Ford as like Han Solo and Indiana Jones, but like, there's a part of me that's like, man, what if his career was just doing weird character actor yeah. stuff like this? Because he's so good and so he's, scary. Yeah, and and he's like a corporate guy, you know. He's because he's got that great like classical wasp white guy look that. Um, you know, you know he's up to something. Yeah, and, but that's a, the the vibe of the entire thing because we're so in Gene Hack, we're so with Gene Hackman that like you don't know what anybody's up to. Yeah. And it's just this question of like, what is going on? Like, should we be paranoid? Is it all justified, or is he crazy? Like, <laughs> it's great. It's terrific. It's only 113 minutes. Like, and it was it won the Palm d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. It got nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Check it out. It's yeah. if you haven't seen it, it's phenomenal. It's all the bags of popcorn folks. It's so good. yeah. So in essence, and Hackman plays Call in a very mild mannered, quiet way. Mm-hmm. Which you know, as Hackman got older, he kind of threw in a little bit more actory tricks and would got a little screamier. But that's okay. Yeah. Like it's it's, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, but he so. He's the natural choice for his character in this movie, who we'll kind of get in, in just a moment here in detail on who his character is in this movie. Mm-hmm. But much like Connery last week in The Rock, feeling like he's James Bond, there is an absolute feeling like Edward Brill, Lyle, is Harry Call 30 years later. 
Yeah, and it's especially it's one of those things too where like when I was beginning the conversation, there was a part of me that was like, "There's no way those two are the same characters." He's so mild mannered, but then by the end of the conversation, you can believe, "Oh yeah, he's real." Like, yeah, like yeah, because he's like, it's. I mean, it's kind of like that alligator Jackie Brown argument. It's like, man, I've seen too much shit. I'm just pissed now. Like, stay away from me. I'm going on my own. <laughs> I don't want friends. Yeah, I don't want friends. <laughs> so, Gene was like a natural choice. He's phenomenal in the movie. We'll praise him as we go, certainly. So, this is a this is a two-hander, though. This movie, mm-hmm. two leads. Actually, the other character, Robert Clayton Dean, is technically the lead of the movie, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Uh, and so, well- and... He's a young hotshot lawyer, so of course every young movie star in Hollywood is considered for this role. Uh, apparently, Mel Gibson was considered. I, mean, I don't like, see it. Yeah, it's like, and yeah, even with all the stuff or whatever. But like, yeah, he just he doesn't. He's not this type of guy. He would have gotten them to write a scene where John Voight tortured him. Uh, <laughs> Without a doubt. Um, they also took a look at Tom Cruise, who, a lot more fitting. Yeah. It's like you need someone who's kind of suave. That's the thing. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not a huge difference from like Tom Cruise's firm character to this character. Yeah. Like, it's the same kind of like lawyer on the run thing mm-hmm. movie. Like, you could see, I don't think he was quite there yet as a star, but you could see like Matthew McConaughey playing this part. I think, you know, a guy who can play kind of a charming everyman. They ended up with the new King of Summer coming off of three summers in a row of smash hits, Bad Boys, Independence Day, and Men in Black. Will Smith plays the role of Robert Clayton Dean. And uh, they were eager because um, he, Will, really wanted to do something a little different. He didn't want to do another sci-fi movie. He wanted to work with Gene Hackman, which is a running trait about everyone in this movie. And uh, he had a very enjoyable experience working with Jerry Bruckheimer on Bad Boys. So all those kind of came together to bring him in for this role. What were you going to say? I was going to say he's really good. And I think like what I like, what surprised me is that um, his opening scene when you first are introduced to Will Smith – it gave me like vibes of, uh, and I say this in like the most complimentary way, of um, of like Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop, like the original one, just like his like his kind of his quippiness, but also like his like supreme confidence in himself. He's got, like, was... he's got massive swagger, like yes. he's feeling it. He's feeling every inch of being the number one guy. <laughs> Like, <laughs> no, this is like so peak Smith. He, yeah. And I feel like it's like, yeah, has any actor been as on top of the world as Will Smith in this moment? I guess Tom Cruise, maybe. It's like, yeah, I mean, I think I don't know how many like because if we're kind of in a era right now in which the movie star isn't the top currency anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like the property the, now. It's the franchise. The property and that kind of thing. But I think, like, I mean, you could argue it's currently back to Tom Cruise. Yeah. Like, holds, holds the title. But, like, <laughs> yeah. But I think, yeah. Well, I think, too, is that, like, Will Smith, like, this is, like, I feel like the 90s was, like, truly, like, the first time where, like, movies were, like, like 100% international. Like, it's not like they weren't, like, in the 60s and 70s and 50s or whatever. But this is, like, 
I feel like Will Smith at this point, like you could go to any country in the world and well, he'd think, get seen. If you think about his contemporaries too at this time, like this was we're this was the nineties. We were coming off of kind of the grunge era and a lot of actors. Uh, just a second. I just got a Charlie horse in my eye. Oh no. <laughs> I gotta walk it off. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Uh, okay. Dad 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 problems. Yeah, serious dad problems. Like, uh, this is a podcast first. I've never heard anyone in pain like on a, on a podcast before. You're like a weird German pervert. This yeah, I'm going to have to have to be one of these guys who stands through a podcast. Um, The 90s was like a too, truly grungified time period in which the concept of fame and success mm. in a punk rock ethos coming from the eight, underground of the 80s and reaching the 90s in 1991, the year punk broke, um, led to you know a lot of the music stars, of course, Kurt Cobain, first and foremost, kind of being um, skeptical of mm. fame and success and notoriety and all that kind of thing and i do believe that a lot of will smith's contemporaries you know names like um i think brad pitt and keanu reeves and so forth um Mm -hmm. as examples weren't as openly ready to embrace being a worldwide megastar and desiring of it in the same vein that will smith was right will smith is not taking Jeffrey Goins in 12 Monkeys. No way. Yeah, yeah, no, there's no, there's no world where Will Smith is Lloyd. Yeah. Lloyd. Lloyd. <laughs> yeah. And like when Brad Pitt wants to essentially break down all of the elements that made him famous, which of mm. course is his look, basically. Like he tried to ugly it up. Outside of Legends of the Fall, he tried to ugly it up in a big way. In a lot of movies throughout the night, all the way through something like Snatch, right? Until he finally like got old enough that he didn't have to worry about it as much anymore, or like Keanu Reeves deciding he was going to play bass in Dog Star rather than um make movies for a bit. Hey, you gotta and, do that. yeah, you gotta do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Whereas Will Smith's like, hell yeah, I'm doing Independence Day. Like, yeah. You know? <laughs> and hell yeah, I'm getting the cheddar. Yeah, he like wanted it. He wanted to be the number one guy. And um, for quite a while there, he, you know, was there. And deservingly, he's massively charismatic. Yeah, He's he, he's like yeah. a fun time to hang with. I, I think there were times when he was the most popular person in the world. I think there yep. was like, yeah, I'd say from like maybe 98 to 2002 or something. I don't know. Or maybe like when... I'm trying to think of like what, like when it kind of like the rails came up. Well, his like, first, yeah. his first flop was the Wild Wild West movie. Yeah. Um, kind of his first because like he just had to hit like summer after summer after summer movie, you know, in a row. But so Wild Wild West was the very next movie after Anime the State, by the way. But wow. but then he did Legend of Beggar Vance and Ali in kind of an Oscar 
Mm. push and then to 2002 he just does men in black 2 2003 he does bad boys 2 2000, 2004 he's in iRobot 2005 he's in hitch 2006 hitch. he's in pursuit of happiness 2007 he's in i am legend 2008 is hancock and okay. seven pounds um that's, what I, that's when the rails come up 2012 is men in black 3 and i would argue 2013's After Earth was when things got a little funky. I saw that movie on an airplane. Really not good. And it's a, it's a, it's a low point for everyone involved, unfortunately. So, and he's in things like Focus, Concussion, mm. Suicide Squad, Collateral <laughs> Beauty, Bright. And then in 2019, he's in Aladdin, which was a success, but that was kind of going to be a success no matter what yeah. and he was in gemini man which i never saw uh so i love that movie there are there is like a uh there is a um i think part of it too is like you have to see it in like the right format isn't it like a movie you have to see in 3d or something to another angley like thing i mean i'm a big angley fan but i think it's like angley is like one step from robert zemeckis and kind of getting a little too lost in the tech yeah <laughs> side of things yeah he'll like yeah he'll yeah he's he, we're so glad he uh he didn't like make a pinocchio or something like that angling mm-hmm. get away from that yeah so but at this point 1998 will smith is awesome he's fresh yeah. not just a fresh prince he's a fresh he's like a fresh star he's like a good vibe like you know you're gonna have a fun time he was going to he was trying to make movies that were a good time yeah, you and and he wanted to play kind of a regular guy in this movie. So the basic storyline of this film is Will Smith plays attorney Robert Clayton Dean. He is a labor attorney. He uh, kind of a swaggering DC like uh, labor attorney. He's it's all, you know, he, he can mouth off to gangsters. He can, but he can also like, you know, knock it up in the boardroom he could tell really really off-color italian jokes <laughs> that still made me smile because it was like it was very funny <laughs> like, <laughs> not, 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 not totally appropriate but very very funny he sounds it oh and he's yeah he's the type of guy you know he's good at tennis yeah this dude this dude would be kicking uh brooks's ass yeah he, you know so he's you know, and it, we're heading toward um, heading toward Christmas time. Christmas is this a Christmas movie? Good oh, yeah. um, over, and he is out and about shopping. He's gonna get some lingerie for his wife <laughs> at a, the sexiest um, store ever. <laughs> I don't think they do at those stores. <laughs> I've never been to that store. <laughs> Uh, to describe it, it's a lingerie store. It's a high-end lingerie store in which the um, the salespeople just strut around naked, basically wearing the lingerie, and and they like line up. And it's like, what size is your wife compared to any of us? It's very, it's wild. It's wild. A moment in the movie, yeah, which is saying a lot. <laughs> so, um, he's doing that. Meanwhile, though, mm. there is a group of corrupt. NSA agents who are desperately after to pass this bill to allow for more surveillance and counterterrorism. Does this smell a little prescient? 
Because yes, it does. Yeah, did, <laughs> this movie probably happened in real life. Maybe. Maybe. Except so, like, except they, like, they, they, they fucking murked whoever Will Smith's character is. The, and the movie opens with the leader of this NSA officials. NSA department head Thomas Brian Reynolds, played mm-hmm. by John Voight, who Good. is dressed exactly like Secretary of State Robert McNamara of the John F. Kennedy administration. To a T. They're the same glasses and same hairstyle. I don't That's know weird. why this I don't know why this is, but it <laughs> Ebert pointed it out in his review too. <laughs> like, what is this? Uh, that Errol Morris doc? <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. It's the Fog of War guy. Um, and he, <laughs> Mr. Yeah, Fog. Mr. Yeah. Fog. Um, yeah, it's really wild. So he is meeting with a congressman about making deals, basically, to get this passed. It's a Republican congressman, Philip Hammersley. Great name. Uh, played by the equally great Jason Robards in an uncredited role. Um same guy he plays in Crimson Tide a few years later. He ran for office. Maybe. I think so. I think so. Um, they, he will not agree to it. He's got a great dog, too. Great dog. Great movie dog in this movie. Yeah. There's a bunch of great movie animals in this film. Yep. Uh, he did, will not agree to the bill. Mm-hmm. Which disappoints John Voight, who looks over. He's got a goon, played by Barry Pepper, who's in the mix who grabs Jason Robards and jabs him in the neck with a needle, with a hypodermic needle, and they kill him. Unbeknownst to them, though, there's a wildlife study going. And they set it up that it was like he had a heart attack and died. And like, Yeah, they took they, they car, car into the lake with the body in it. Into the lake. The, the dog the is like body. watching sadly. It's so glum. Yeah, it's yeah, bum me out the dog. I don't know, but anyway, but the dog lives. We'll put it yeah. that way. Uh, his beloved dog and best friend. Um, unbeknownst to John Voight and his cronies, though, there's a nature study going on on this lake across the lake, and there was cameras set up on the dock because they were uh, checking out like migratory geese, if I'm not mistaken, or something <laughs> yeah, I think like that. that. Is the, uh... That is the uh, the weird serendipitous uh, action. And the guy who is in charge of the camera is a character named Daniel Zavitz, played by Jason Lee, who has who picks up the tapes. He lives in like the net, basically, <laughs> yeah. or hackers. Like he lives in a very like hackers kind of place. And he's it, he's apparently a biologist. He his background is very strange because his vibe he gives off is coffee shop hacker yes he's apparently a biologist though checking out these geese but he also apparently went to law school at georgetown with will smith doesn't matter doesn't matter i mean does yeah he's just like yeah he's he's like i do like the way that will smith kind of treats him it's the same way that Tom Cruise cheats Todd Field in Eyes Wide Shut, where it's like, yeah, I'm a success, and this guy I went to Georgetown with, but he didn't make it. Like, that kind of, like, it's a very kind of arrogant, like, what happened to you, man? Like, you were yeah. smart. I don't know. <laughs> you're like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah you're, always... it, you're kind of a fuck-up, man. Look at me. I have a brownstone here in Georgetown. Yeah, I'm doing you're well. Always, <laughs> you're always playing with your and, giant Game Boy. <laughs> yeah, and you live in, like, Hackerville. 
So <laughs> he he is perusing the tapes to look at the birds and he sees the murder. Oh my god, it's a murder, it's a cover up, it's a conspiracy. He quickly like hacks into the mainframe or something and puts it onto a giant mini disc or something. Very old school technology. But it, it looks great. All of it looks cool. And Tony Scott shoots the shit out of it with like cameras everywhere. Mm-hmm. And he, though, because of the NSA having all the tech, they are very, very quickly able to track Jason Lee down. The NSA, we should note, has got just a rogues gallery of people working for them. And it's oh, a direct, it's a com- it's a combination between great goons and great nerds. Would you say? Would you agree with that, Patrick? Oh, a hundred. Like it's such a yeah. It's like the jocks and the nerds teamed up, the freaks and the geeks. It's 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 to great. like b- to bully Jason Lee yeah. and then Will Smith, <laughs> the ultimate nerd. Jason so we Lee. should know. Um, some so on the on the goon side of things, we have Krug, ex USMC, hired by the NSA, played by. Jake Busey. We have Jones, ex-USMC, hired by the NSA, played by Scott Kahn. These two guys, I want to say really quickly, they give off uh, Greg, four-liter, Tony Todd, and The Rock vibes. They that Yeah. They're you like, know, they, it's such a good thing. It's like, we got to bring in some special guys. They're always crazy. They're always <laughs> the craziest ones. It's awesome. And yeah, yes, and the guys in The Rock are like the very best version of that. Like oh, oh. this is like the junior version though. It's kind of fun. Yeah, and they have they get made fun of for their weird haircuts. And then um <laughs> Ian Hart, who's played John Lennon like three times in movies, is NSA yeah. agent John Bingham. You know what I remember him from is from uh, the uh pilot of the David Milch show Luck. He was mm. like one of the degenerate gamblers. Oh yeah. Which is that in a was... funny thing. I remember they Michael Mann directed that. It's like set to um there's like horse racing set to Sigaros, and it's pretty damn majestic. <laughs> they, like the, they killed some horses doing yeah, it. Yeah, no, but, that's uh, the bad. Yeah, no, that's the horse the... killing is not good. But you know, if uh, the world, if a world existed where those horses didn't die, man. Yeah. Even, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that show, that show would have been pretty banging if, yeah, the horses. <laughs> unfortunate <laughs> thing about the horses. Anyway, Jason Lee. Oh, and then um, Barry Pepper is NSA agent Pratt, who's kind of the main goon mm-hmm. on the goon side of things. On the nerd side of things, there's NSA agent Lauren Hicks, played by Lauren Dean, who's John Voight's aide-de-camp, who kind of yeah. looks on a little like... He's a little weaselly because he's trying to feign moral superiority over everyone around him, but he goes along with just about everything that is presented to him. So it's a fun character for Lauren Dean to play. He's he's he was like he was going to be a big act. Like he was like a guy that they had um, some kind of hopes for that he was going to kind of. He never really like crossed over, but he's done a bunch of stuff. I mean, he's in. Um, He's in Apollo 13. He was in Ad Astra. He's in the Mule, the Clint movie. Oh, wow. okay. Um, yeah, he's been in a he's been a handful of things, you know. Mm. And, but he, um, yeah, he was another young actor who kind of had that just on the cusp, but didn't kind of right, cross over right. all the way. Uh, speaking of crossing over the way, all the way though, NSA agent Fielder, played by Jack Black, who. Oof. Who briefly made appearance in the fan, but now really gets to stretch his wings in as kind of the main hack the mainframe 
NSA guy yes, who's really? really fun yeah. in the movie. And not no surprise, Jack Black is always really fun. But you know, but he kind of gets a chance to play. He gets kind of like he's kind of like he's very cocky. He like he's kind of he's kind of a stinker. It's good stuff. It's good. And uh, it's like and it's nice to see him in a role before his like persona developed and he was kind of like trapped in that persona, so to speak. This is about a year off from high fidelity. I think, yeah. and yeah. High Fidelity was the one. High Fidelity is the one we all kind of like. Um, yeah, that's the men's Jack Black. Took, is. Yeah, took notice of his thing, you know, and, and he's kind of ran that ever since. But you know, all power to him. He's again very fun. Um, also in the mix, uh, you may remember him from uh, As Good as It Gets, as the guy who robs Greg Kinnear's house. Ooh. Of course, we're talking about Jamie Kennedy. NSA agent Jamie Williams. Malibu's most wanted himself. Malibu's most wanted himself, but he's not the only guy in that van. Mm. Uh, Seth Green is there as NSA agent Selby. Uh, it's a great group of guys. It's I like fun. these three together. They're fun together. It's, it's very... Everyone is having a good time, and apparently they all... Um, Really wanted in because they liked the idea of being in the mix with Gene Hackman it was apparently like like a coveted thing for everyone involved. Uh, it should be known casting director is Victoria Thomas um, on this one, and it's like almost every single person who has a speaking role in this movie you have seen in another movie. Like it's it's which is a rarity. <laughs> like I would say <laughs> like every. <laughs> She also did the uh, casting for um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think. Mm. Well, there you go. Yeah, I mean, like, hire her if you're. And, yes. You know, I'm going to get on a little soapbox here. Oh, soap it. Let's add an award in the Academy Awards. Best casting. Yes. This is this is a long time coming. Get that in the mix. Get best stunts in the mix. Mm. Two more awards, even it out. We need both those awards in the mix because yeah, they're huge. They're hugely important. And like we've already tried the version where you cut awards from it and you put in more stupid shit. People don't uh, like that. Crank it up. Add more awards. Add more more, add more, more awards. weird awards. Yeah. I also I I also like um, breakthrough performance. I think that's a fun one. Like give a young actor. Ooh, nice I one. like that one. Uh, best like, assistant director. Best AD. You know, I think mm. that, the, you know, I think that there's um, like music supervisor coming up with cool songs to put mm. in the movie. Like best, best soundtrack. Yes. Best cool soundtrack. Yeah. I will tell you this about Triangle of Sadness. When New Noise by The Refused comes on in the boat sequence. So this song, this massive, sensational, all-time Hall of Fame punk song comes on as everyone is puking and shitting their guts out while simultaneously the boat's about to sink and Woody Harrelson and the Russian guy are having a political argument over the loudspeaker of the entire boat. I I was not with anyone, but I did want to lean over and say this is the this could be the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> it is like one of the I think the best sequence of see best sequence another award. Best sequence, best action sequence. We talked about it last weekend. How about Dude, you wrecked your Ferrari. <laughs> Fucked up your Ferrari. Wasn't mine. <laughs> Neither is this. Anyway, there's the we're off the soapbox. 
So Barry Pepper and his goons are after Jason Lee, who's on the run. Great action sequence. Jason Lee is... is Oh, they're doing these helicopter shots of him run on the rooftop. It looks like a billion dollars. It's awesome. Yeah, but it's so funny. His character, you don't think, like, he's the type of guy that could... But gosh darn it, he sells it. His cardio is on point. Yeah, he's like... (laughs) He's doing, like, parkour. I mean, it's like... It's great. Buildings and shit. It is wild. It is like something a normal human could not do usually. It, but you're it just looks like, it looks at it like the second born film or something. Like it looks great. Born film starred Fisher Stevens character in yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Jason Lee is run around, racing around. He goes to the alleys, run through the background of like barber shops and Chinese restaurants and everything. All the great sets that he could run through. Guess what he runs into? Mm. the lingerie store that we just described the weird <laughs> crazy the sexy lingerie like truly sexy lingerie store yeah guess he's in there robert dean will smith yeah and Fine. somehow coincidentally jason lee and will smith went to college together at georgetown crazy right what but yet does? will smith still <laughs> it's like i'm gonna give you my card yeah, seems like you need help. <laughs> Another like deeply like Tom Cruise and Eyes Wide Shut move. <laughs> so there's this, this this running thing in Eyes Wide Shut that gets funnier and funnier if you see it in the theaters. Every time Tom Cruise introduces himself to another character, he's like, "I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor." He has like consistently tell people of his high level job to like underline his self-worth almost and it's like it's so fucking funny by the time it gets to like the 10th time he does it and it's, it's like deeply on purpose good like it's so good but it kind of reminds me of um that when he hands him the card it's like man we went to college i don't know your card i don't even know what law firm you work at yeah but jason lee slips the the damn video of the congressman's murder into the lingerie sack that Will Smith is holding. Yes. Then Jason Lee takes off again, runs in the street. He steals a bike. Neither is this. Um, <laughs> steals a bike, and it's awesome. It's like this foot rake, backwards traffic foot race with like Barry Pepper and Scott Kahn and Jake Busey, like on f- like racing after Jason Lee on the bike. And he's going like Lance Armstrong. He's trying his best. He's he, nuts. He jumps the bike into the other over the like median between the road into the opposite side of traffic poor jason though does not see it coming he gets absolutely annihilated by this fire truck that just like utterly creams him he's dead he's he's dead he is dead. he's paced on the ground (laughs) it's cool it's good it's like there's gore and everything it doesn't skimp on what you're after from this absolute mauling he takes this fire truck so they get over to him. Barry Pepper's like searching him. He doesn't got that damn tape. But guess what he does have on him? Mm. Will Smith's card. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Setting in motion basically the rest of the movie. Will Smith is kind of in a wrong man kind of situation. The NSA's after him. Will does not know for about 40 minutes why anyone is after him. And he... Uh, action basically ensues uh and the nsa starts planting all sorts of stuff so it should be mentioned now the ladies 
of Enemy of the State. There's mm-hmm. actually there's actually women in this movie, unlike a few we've done. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, wow. Wow. It's been a while. Who'd have thought? Wow. <laughs> um, the, the women in uh, Robert Clayton Dean, for all of his professional life success, his personal life has had its ups and downs. Mm. He is married to Carla Dean, played by, oh, I love her. Regina King. Oh, yeah. Okay. Academy yeah. Award winner. Academy Award winner. Just, she's, she's awesome. A, she's, she's awesome. Really she, she's like, get, not given much. She gets to rock and roll in this movie. Yeah. It's, she just pops. She's just so good. She's, she's very pretty. It's <laughs> like, yeah. it's just, it's just like, her, it's really funny too. I love that her character is like so obsessed with the, well, she's an ACLU lawyer. It makes yeah. sense. But, but yeah, and like, she's yeah. she from the start of the movie is like, yeah, they're watching us. She's like very prescient herself and kind yeah. of the surveillance state. And um, that's the type of role that I feel like Regina King gets to play often, like the paranoid lawyer. Yeah, and she's she's phenomenal. She's a lot of fun in the movie. Her and Will Smith have great chemistry. Um, they have been married. They love each other. He's buying her lingerie. They're they're still intimate. They're having a good time. But a few years prior. Mm. Robert Dean slipped up and he had an affair with a former colleague and uh, did they go to law school together too? I think they might have I can't can't remember off the top of my head I want to say they did I want to say they did I believe that they did Uh, his ex-girlfriend Rachel Banks played by Lisa Bonet and uh, did you know that um Tony Scott saw Lisa Bonet in um, Angel Heart, directed by Alan Parker, part of the RSA Associates world, and was like, "I like her. I want to see. Her. I want to get her in a movie." Oh, Oops. that rules! That but rules! It does. That does rule. And um, should be noted, Regina King was coming off of um, Jerry Maguire, which kind of cemented her. She played Cuba Gooding Jr.'s wife in that one. <laughs> and so it turns out that Robert Dean has still maintained contact with Lisa Bonet after all these years because she's got access to like security and hacking and stuff like that. It's very mysterious though. She's got a contact out in the Mm. world that no one's allowed to talk to. They're very, and he would love to meet her, meet the contact, but she won't let it on. The papers start talking about how he's having an affair. Um, and then his law firm job goes to hell. They're saying that he like screwed up, screwed the pooch on some cases. Uh, the case he's working on at the beginning of the movie, which does matter toward the end of the movie, is a sting operation on some union leaders who are working with some gangsters. Should be noted, the lead gangster is played by <laughs> Polly Pintero, is this character's name. <laughs> and is, of course, played by Tom Sizemore. <laughs> the sweatiest, the sweatiest man. Tom, who's who, who, whose hangover is not acting in this movie. It is just there. Like <laughs> he does not look. He's 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 sweaty and bloated. Pretty much not. Does it stop Tom Sizemore from doing a very Sizemore performance? Absolutely not. Yeah. He's, and, and the- in the, in the same way that uh, you know Gene Hackman's character in this movie could be a continuation of the conversation, I like to think that uh, this is a continuation of Tom Sizemore's character in Passenger Fifty Seven, and things just went really bad. 
Passenger like, 57, true romance. Any of the times we've seen Tom Sizemore. <laughs> this is, the road was always in this direction. Oh, it should be noticed that the head partner at Will Smith's law firm who reprimands him for bad lawyering, which was planted by the NSA, is, of course, played by Philip Baker Hall. Oh, who we lost, yes. uh, literally last week in The Rock. Um, like we said, top to bottom stars in this movie just everybody and we haven't gotten everybody yet which is the wildest part here so his career is on the fritz his marriage is on the fritz he does not know what to do he doesn't get it and simultaneously they've broken into his house they've covered him in like surveillance devices to track him everywhere Mm. so will and he will wants to like so Rachel, Lisa Bonet, finally gives up. She's like, here's where you can meet the contact. She shows him. It's an intricate method of hobo hobo communications. <laughs> it's like, oh, that symbol means uh, fresh pies on the windowsill. Also should be noted that uh, Will Smith's like best bud, his ten- his like rowing buddy, oh, yeah. is uh, James LaGrosse, who we saw in Near Dark a few weeks ago. Yeah. He goes to meet with, quote-unquote, Brill, her contact. Mm. Brill's a mystery man. Or woman. We don't know. They meet on a boat. It reminded me quite a bit of the Insomnia boat, where (laughs) Al Pacino and Robin Williams meet up. (laughs) (laughs) And guess who Brill is? It's Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne is in the movie, too. The usual suspect himself? The funniest thing about it is, it's like, He's barely in this movie. And you're like, how are we going to, like, we're going to get a big, big ass star for two scenes. It's so, it's wild. I mean, it's it like, it like the Michael Bean being like the fifth guy in The Rock. Like, yeah. Like, just like crazy, like, wow. Like, this is a dude who, Gabriel Byrne, arguably might be like maybe a little under his peak, but close to his peak at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, it's crazy. He, so he tells Robert Dean, the NSA is watching you. You got to look out. They get like, let's go, let's go. They get in this cab. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second. This isn't Brill. He's an NSA agent. Oh my God. No. And they like get a, they crash up the cab. They're bouncing around all over the place. He gets out and he discovers he's being watched by the real Brill, who is of course, finally 50 minutes into this movie, Gene Hackman arrives on the the craziest part of this movie he doesn't come in until like halfway into the yeah film. but then he starts to dominate it almost immediately he oh, starts screaming they're already watching you <laughs> like, yeah, all, not in a great place all sort of like i i remember from the trailer you just blew up a building because you made a phone call <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's so good and they the action just goes from here everybody's chasing him they're all after dean but dean is played by will smith so he's athletic and cool and can get out of stuff but there's so many good chase scenes there's a tunnel one they go underground they go through sewers they're in like will smith's climbing rafters in like buildings he said he sets that fire like all sorts of stuff goes down and basically he finally gets back to brill Brill was Lisa Bonet's contact, but they also find out that the NSA has killed Lisa Bonet and planted Will Smith's shit at her place. He's a murderer, but he isn't. We know that. No, no, no. This was so stressful to me 
all the like bad stuff that was happening to Will Smith it was hurting me. Oh, it was very. It's a lot. It is there's so a lot of. Much. I had a lot of anxiety <laughs> while watching it. And at a certain point, I was like, "They should have just like stole the thing, like or like looked through his stuff better when they uh, trashed his house initially." Because it's like it seems like so much work. Just give him some. To... Give him some money. What yes. is wrong with all these people? Most people just take money. Oh, it should be known too. His price possession is a blender. I don't know why I wanted to bring that up, but <laughs> well, it's like a, it's like... a ru- it's a running bit. Yeah. So they go to Brill's lair. Mm-hmm. Brill's lair, of course, is dressed almost exactly like Harry Call's lair from the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly. It is crazy how it, mm-hmm. they must have watched the conversation yeah. and like set to like make it like that. We wears that transparent trench coat too, just mm. like jeans, just like Call's transparent trench coat. Um. They go to their lair. They cut, we find out he, Brill himself, ex NSA agent. He knows the tricks. He knows the moves. He's been off the grid for a while, though. Yeah, they, something involving the Shaw. They look at the they look at the disc though, and they realize, okay, that's why they're after us. Finally, I know why they are after me. Um, that basically, um, we have this murder tape. Yeah, which was like, yeah, which was hidden in a, by the way, it was hidden in like a, um, I was looking at the thing, it wasn't a Game Boy, it was a Turbo Express. Oh, it's wow. such a weird specific uh, video game console to have, uh, like like the third most popular handheld. Very funny, I don't know why. That's weird to me. So then, um, while they're there, they decide mm-hmm. to go on the offense. Oh yeah. They figure out that it's John Voight, is Reynolds, who is um, behind it all. They, they break into his bank account. They they fuck around with the other congressman who's on their team with like um, setting him up with um, you know watching him sleep with a prostitute. Uh, they're causing trouble all over the damn place. Should also be noted, John Voight's wife is played by Anna Gunn. Yes, from uh, Breaking Bad and the upcoming Crazy. film. The apology made by a friend of ours that's going to be on Shutter in a few weeks, and oh. it was really good. We saw it the other night. Um, they're covering it this week. They're covering it on Jen's podcast. Everything is scary. Very shortly here, they recorded it two hours ago. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Anna Gunn's his wife, and she's kind of got like they, she's doing like a Lady Macbeth thing, like that they just kind of like throw in there on. Um, so John Voight's kind of cucked. And we're me too. And we kind of we find yeah, there's so much going on because we find that John Voight's been passed over for jobs. He's kind of a loser, and he's kind of gotten over, a little too overzealous mm. about you know his position. And plus, he's just a shitty Warhawk Republican yeah, too. Just, just a bad man. A yeah, bad but it's always comes down to weird insecurities. They start doing that, but because Will Smith made he Will Smith calls his wife at a freaking circle k and um they're able to track them down and gene hackman drives an el camino which is a cool touch too for his car Mm. they barry pepper and the guys show up at uh brill's place they launch in but brill who's got a cat too put the cat in the bag because i gotta save the cat brill's got the entire place wired They drive the El Camino out of there. Barry Pepper sees it. Oh, get out, get out, get out. They all run out. 
Gene Hackman blows up this entire building. Tony Scott must have 18 cameras covering this building explode because they did it for real. They blew the shit out of this building. It looks <laughs> awesome. As the Caminos run away, he lives by these train yards. The NSA guys are in like um, SUVs. They're firing guns at each other. We get a car chase through these train yards. It looks awesome. It's oh, it's a, it's absolutely like a stunner of a this, stunner of an action sequence. Is this the part where the helicopter? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's so good. It's so. It looks, it's so you feel so bad for Will Smith because he's just a guy. And yeah. Suddenly he has a fucking helicopter chasing him. Yeah, helicopter just, chasing him. He's getting handed a sawed-off shotgun by Gene Hackman. It's all happening. It's great. Yeah, it's so good. Somehow they get away. Gene is still like, "The hell with you! I don't want a part of this." And Will's like, "I need your help." Um, are we heading towards though, like a Nicholas Cage, Sean Connery, unlikely ally and buddy situation? Yeah, I'm thinking we are. And yeah. <laughs> does it almost always work in movies? Yeah, I think it almost always works yeah. in movies. When the stars are this, when the stars are this bright, folks, it's working. So they come up with a scheme, basically, to... <sighs> it's kind of convoluted. They're going to try and figure out a way to like catch John Voight red-handed or hand off the tape. Will Smith wants his life back. It, and he's kind of dopey about it. But they end up getting caught. They get put in a van. Gene Hackman gets tortured and shot in the hand. Then Will Smith comes up with this crazy idea. So at the beginning of the movie, they have a surveillance tape of Tom Sizemore doing bad things. And Tom Sizemore spent the entire movie demanding to know who has the original tape and who made it. Mm-hmm. John Voight is also looking for a tape. Different tape, as we know. It's the murder of a congressman tape. So Will Smith comes up with this wild idea to bring John Voight and the NSA to the mob hideout of Tom Sizemore and confuse these two irrationally violent, insecure men just <laughs> screaming at each other about a tape, different tapes that they are demanding copies of. I love, like... Uh, like Tom Sizemore is like eating like is it like Christmas dinner with his like with his like family? big son his his big family yeah <laughs> big it's like John Polito's like kid from fucking uh no, that's exactly yeah. that's the first thing he's just like <laughs> this so they all draw guns it's John Voight Jack Black Lauren Dean Jake Busey. Barry Pepper, they're all there. Tom Sizemore on a series of goons on the other side, and Will Smith sitting at the table. I was reminded of True Romance almost immediately as this was going down because it's a lot of character actors screaming at each other in a standoff situation. <laughs> How many times have we seen this before? Some some goon accidentally knocks over a brick or yeah. something, or kicks a stone or whatever. Everyone's so on edge. That's enough. And I, I wrote it into a script once. I had this happen. It was Carhorn did it. Um, and everybody uh, opens fire. Um, Will dies underneath the dinner table. As every actor I just mentioned 
just blast the shit out of each other. They're done. Oh, yeah. Everybody, everybody gets it. Everyone, literally, the only survivor is like, uh, like one of the chefs just like and, it's like one of the the cooks wearing a uh, a tank top and like <laughs> and Jack Black. Oh yeah, Jack. But Jack Black gets hit. He's hit a couple, couple of times, but he makes it. Everybody else dies. Again, Will Smith makes it. Um, in a very rock kind of moment. Will Smith like is giving let out by the feds and he sees Gene Hackman slip away into the night. But they give each other kind of a nod. Like mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. We'll cut to like, man, that was crazy, huh? Will Smith back at home with Regina King. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Getting ready for Christmas. They're watching TV. Regina reminds him that she was right all along that um <laughs> state is real and should be avoided. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And uh she walks away, Will's watching TV, and then all of a sudden his TV starts flipping. And, oh my god, it's Gene Hackman sending him a message from, like, the Bahamas or something. He's having a great time. He, he shows off his weird, like, pale-ass legs. I mean, this is worse than the ring tape. You just, you get this, like, you're, you're watching TV, suddenly the channel changes, and you see the palest legs. I know, at least, at least Nicolas Cage got to find out who killed Kennedy. Yeah, no. when he gets the message from the from the deep from an older actor. <laughs> yeah, this pales in comparison. So, yeah, yeah, Gene Hackman's crazy. Not Gene Hackman's legs. Somebody else's leg. Gene did not shoot that sequence. Oh, hell no. <laughs> Gene, yeah, that's like that's probably Tony Scott's legs or something. He had to be. Yeah, for all we know. <laughs> uh, but was like, man, bro, and he they he's like telling jokes and. It's great. Everybody's fine. A lot of people died, but everybody's yeah. fine. All the cool people survived, though. Oh, also, I wanted to say to you, another like recurring actor, uh, Vic Manny, the guy who plays the uh, the rapping, the guy who has to rap in Beverly Hills Cop Two, like the guard that like Eddie Murphy, he's in this as one of the goons, and he's also he was also in Bad Boys. He's like it gets exploded in that. Yeah, like, he's a he's a top around. top of, top of the line goon. Uh, oh, also, it should be noted that. Um, before he runs into Will Smith, Jason Lee co- briefly contacts a friend in the left-wing press, who's played by Grant Hesloff, who better better known as George Clooney's longtime producing partner and the Academy Award-winning producer of Argo. <laughs> the like fifth lead of True Lies. What a crazy yeah. of True Lies, of course, of True Lies. Yeah. And yeah, this movie is just filled with every guy, every yeah. every person. And it so it's deeply satisfying. It's a great buddy movie. There's great action. Might be a little long in the tooth. It runs 132 minutes. You know, it's it's longish for a Tony movie. He doesn't usually um there's a little more padding, I would say. But yeah, at the same know, time, it's it's all satisfying. Everybody's oh, really good in it. Mm-hmm. I would say, like, yeah, if you could, like, trim, if, like, we met George, uh, or not George, if we met uh, Gene Hackman at, like, 30 minutes in instead of 50, that's probably... I can't believe like... they waited that long for him Oh yeah, it's to nice. get in there. But it's, it's interesting, because I was thinking about something we were talking about beforehand, too, about all these actors and how good they are. It's like, when you're watching something like this, or White Squall, or, like, any of the movies we've watched where it's, like, a series of younger actors kind of, like, showing, trying to show off kind of their their moves to kind of like get noticed to kind of like take that mm. next next step and i was telling you when i saw this it was like barry pepper was the dude for my myself and my brother who were like yeah he's gonna be 
the big star, right? Uh, like the next big star. And, you know, another guy though, it's like, didn't, didn't get all the way there. He's a great actor. He's done some really good stuff. I recommend, um, he's really good in the Tommy Lee Jones movie, three burials of Melchiatus Estrada. If you've ever seen that, uh, it's kind of like a Cormac McCarthy style movie, but not written by Cormac McCarthy. Um, and he's excellent in the recent film, Alexandra Aja's film Crawl, the giant alligator movie that came out a few years ago, which is he's, really, really good. He's like really good in the, I love him in True Grit. He's great yeah. in the remake. Uh, he's just like one of those great, like, uh, he's kind of just evolved into like a really interesting character actor. Yeah. yeah I mean, my and I think I mentioned to you before, you know, my favorite Barry Pepper performance is actually in um, Spike Lee's 25th Hour, which mm. if you haven't seen that check that movie out it's pretty he is one of three best friends with edward norton and philip seymour hoffman and he's you know when i say those names you're like oh two of the heavy hitters of the of their generation and he steals the show if you ask whoa really that is nuts yeah he he gets some he gets a really juicy part in that one and yeah i think that you know I still think he's an amazing actor and I wish he had kind of broken through further, but yeah, big fan of him. And you know, I, I like all these guys though. Yeah. I like all yeah. of them. It is like, yeah, it is like a hundred percent agree. And I think like, yeah, I think that's a battlefield earth was probably the movie that like, uh, kind of ended it for Barry a little bit. And that's just a huge bummer because he had so much more. He's such a good, he is just, he's interesting too. Like he yeah. has texture, which a lot of, uh, you know, um, like actors nowadays, like there isn't like a young Barry Pepper anymore, really. Like that type of guy is uh, kind of disappearing some more. Like you know, well, a guy who feels a little more, um, you know, everyone's like a newscaster now. They're from uh, nowhere and they're just kind of like a bland, you know, bland American. Yeah. And like Barry Pepper seems like a guy from Arkansas or something, he's, you know? Exactly. He seems like he's lived a life. Somewhere. Oh, he's he's, a, he's actually Canadian. I did not know that. But um, he's from Alberta or some shit. Yeah, like, whatever the country version of uh, and he can, see, like, he's he, from he he's from it. he's from Campbell River, British Columbia, which yeah, gotta have like, you know, thirty five hundred people, thirty five thousand people. Is yeah, the, that's nothing. Yeah. yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Oh, he's the son of a lumberjack. So this is the kind of guy we're talking about. Yeah, he's like that's like yeah, that type of actor is just like for whatever reason uh, dying out. Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's, it's 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 a very it's like they're all models and influencers now. Yeah, it can't just be Adam Driver. He can't do it all on his own. There's only one of them. We need more. I know. Yeah, <laughs> Adam Driver. The weight on his shoulders, man. <laughs> yes. he's got big yeah. shoulders. He's got big shoulders, but he can't carry them all. Yeah, this large torso can't sustain that much responsibility. <laughs> yeah, he's like, <laughs> this is a weird large torso. Like, yeah, he's screaming to Oscar Isaac, like, "Give me some help here." Please, Oscar, get away from me. Help us. And Oscar's like, I'm doing my best. (laughs) Yeah. I'm too busy eating uh, flaming hot Cheetos with chopsticks, which is a a good move, by the way. Have you ever seen that picture? No, no, Oscar, I think he's like, I have, he has like this, he's like, I have a cool way of eating uh, flaming hot Cheetos, and he eats them with chopsticks. So he doesn't want to get get the dust on his fingers? He doesn't want to get the dust on his fingers. Yeah. It's crazy. I'll send you that picture. It's a great picture. Yeah, we'll put it on our Twitter. That's something everybody needs to know about. <laughs> <laughs> it's something weird. And that's something where it's 
like a little too bland or but then like he's just like that and you're like no he's weird i love it that's weird man like boy i'm just curious why he's so troubled by the dust he just doesn't i think he just doesn't like the dust oh, well man. you know i guess there are things like that like i really like the taste of butterfinger candy bar but i can't deal with this shit in the molars i just can't deal with it i just like it's just too much for me and i, I avoid butterfinger Because like there's no if I could figure out a chopstick method to avoid my molars getting caked in Butterfinger, I would eat Butterfinger candy bars all the time. Um, yeah, no, it is. Yeah, those things are. Don't mess up your teeth. They get they get stuck in there. Here's the yeah, image. yeah, it's Just really that's uh, he. It's him up there. There's like two pictures. yeah. of him. He's got a great he's got a great mustache in that picture <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, no, it's very good. Cool guy, very cool guy. Yeah, cool guy alert. Cool guy alert right there. Uh, but, I mean, there's a bunch of guys. We talked about Lauren Dean kind of being there. I mean, even guys like Jimmy Kennedy was in Malibu's Most Wanted. He was given a movie. <laughs> like, yeah, that is so funny. Yeah, he had Jimmy, Jimmy Kennedy had a moment. He had a moment. You know, I mean, but like, you know, Scott Kahn was on Hawaii Five O for like 15 years. Uh, Jake Busey was in Starship Troopers, The Frighteners. He's done oh, some so cool, done some cool stuff. You know, all these guys have like, been like Seth Green with Scott Evil and yes. See another <laughs> another thing I think that character he plays is just uh you know Scott Doctor yeah. Evil is like Scott you gotta go to the NSA and work on your evil. But I guess it's like why well, you tip tip the hat to Will Smith because it's like all those guys are great they got it. Will Smith has it though whatever it is <laughs> takes it to takes it to like the next stage of that <laughs> that you can't teach to anyone in acting school. Like it's it's literally like Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, Eddie Murphy, uh is it a handful like a handful of these people yeah, that like, really have this like the juice, whatever. George Clooney. Like, yeah. I, like I love Adam Driver and Oscar Isaac. I don't even think they have like it's just like the level of juice, like their juice levels are But fun. even like I mean, I remember like when girls came on the air. Everyone watched the first episode of Girls because it was you know, mm, the talked about thing. And if no one wanted to admit out loud that like the most interesting person on the show called Girls is this weird hulking guy. Yeah, this this insane, this man of uh, like, unreal proportions. Yeah, like uh, that's this is the guy I want to know more about. I don't care as much about the four leads. <laughs> and it was like such a weird, like odd thing that you know, and I'll never forget too. It was so funny when Tarantino pitched Adam Driver to play Rambo. In his hypothetical Rambo remake, which mm. Color Me sold, Kurt yes. Russell would play the sold the sheriff who's after Rambo. It's, mm. but he was Tarantino goes. They're like, who would you cast as Rambo? Is oh, I cast the guy from Girls. Ooh. He didn't know what his name was or what he was <laughs> anything else he was in. He just knew he was on Girls. The guy from Girls. It's like, yeah, the guy in all the Noah Baumbach movies. You know. So Wait, you want to cast Alex Karpovsky? The, yeah. <laughs> the, guy, the guy who uh, was in a bunch of... Actually, actually the th but that was always the thing because like, Alex Karpovsky and Christopher Abbott are nearly as interesting as Adam Driver. <laughs> it's yeah. wild. But anyway, off that, it's hard. What It's a magic trick to be a megastar. You know, we were just talking about too, like Jack Black... Rises above all the nerds in this movie. You know, if Jamie Kennedy had gotten a script as good at, in a star making turn as good as School of Rock, would he have 
taking it as far as Jack. But I don't know. I yeah. doubt it. I kind of doubt do. it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the thing is, is that just like Jack Black, that role is just so perfectly written for him. Yeah. And I don't know if you can even write. I don't know what like. How do you write a, a role perfectly for Jamie Kennedy? I'm not sure. Like, you would just need to... Yeah, he needs to have Mike White as, like, a neighbor for, like, two years or something so he can get uh, that and Jack Black has got this great, like, wild man side, but he's kind of, lo- you know, lovable side, and yeah. it's just hard to, like... It's, 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 it's like, hard. You know, like, just... he, ha- he has that Will Smith charisma, too, man. It's, yeah. like, it's a different flavor of it, but it's that same level of, like, you know... There's like a, a reason why he's like the most loved actor. I had a friend tell me about that. He moved to Hollywood, and Jack Black was kind of his like the guy he was kind of like trying to emulate and stuff like that. But he was like, one day I was just like, hey, Jack Black's got it. I don't know what it is. You try and emulate it, but it's just there. It's just got it. Like you even go back to like watching Mr. Show when he's doing Jeepers Creepers Semi Star. Oh, yeah. He's like popping. He's like absolutely popping, and he's surrounded by you know, the greatest comedy talent of, of their generation. Right, like, yeah, for sure. When he's or when he's doing they're doing that like musical about like the cow machine or whatever. Like, oh the yeah, the machine. electric milking machine. And yeah. He like throws his hat and tries to catch catch it and he so misses. Yeah, he's so like slapping it. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah, he's just his his physicality, it's just and boy, that's why it's like is that, like anyone who tells me it's like if almost every star who sticks around for like a 20 year career has got something mm-hmm. like they're not just weirdly untalented and they've slipped through and kind of coasted like very few of them have ever done that most of the people who have stuck around there's a reason they have stuck around yeah like they've got it they have an and, aura of some kind. Yeah, they've got an aura. They've been an enjoyable presence that people have continued to spend money on to see for multiple decades. Like even like even like the, the Greg Spore leaders and Tony Todd's. Like there's a reason those guys are still, even though they're not like at that same level. Like they have yeah, like there's people go back to you for a reason. Exactly. Yeah. I mean that's kind of one thing we try to figure out on this show. Like the former, the long time ago are, yeah. As our tagline to discover the greatest performance in your favorite actor's career, trying to figure out what this means to do this kind of thing. And I think this movie is a great example because we're looking at star power all the way through, whether it's the old guard and Hackman and Voight to make a star of the time, Will Smith to an up and comer like Jack Black and Regina King. We're seeing, we're seeing that out there. And we weren't alone. This movie um, was budgeted at $90 million. Tidy sum. But it's there. It's on screen. The movie, as Patrick mentioned, it opened number two at the box office behind the Rugrats movie. Uh, <laughs> gross $20 million its opening weekend. But the thing about it is, this movie had staying power, baby. Next weekend, it opened 18.1. Second weekend, 9.7. Um, and just kind of hung around to the point where it grossed 100 and 11 million in the states, 139 million in other territories for a worldwide total of 250.8 million dollars. Ah, smells like a hit to me. Yeah, movies yeah. didn't do that. Like the last movie that really did something like that was like what, The Greatest Showman? There's you know? weird ones like I was like, it's wild. 
like American Hustle made two hundred fifty million dollars. I feel like, yeah, <laughs> like, like wow, like, but that was when people like, you know, adults went out to see movies. Movies had mm -hmm. staying power; they weren't immediately shuffled to VOD. Like, apparently, the Fablemans is going to be on VOD next week, That's which is. Mean. Yeah, it's dark. It sucks. It's grim, sucks. man. And yeah. like 10 years ago, the Fablemans would have been like a word of mouth, slowly but surely, been in the theaters for two months, two, three months kind of deal as it walked its way to the uh, the Oscars. Yeah. But now nobody nobody cares. It doesn't even get like the, the courtesy, like it doesn't even get like that King's speech level success. Yeah, yeah King's speech made like 100 mil. Yeah. Like movies, like these little prestige flicks, even like the most average ones used to make, yeah. Well, like the, when they had, when they were doing that, I mean, that year the King's Speech was one best picture. I saw every every best picture nominee in the theater that year. Yeah. I, I'd say I saw there were many, there was quite a few years where I saw every best picture nominee in the theater. And even I'm struggling to do that these days oh, although we do have here. a we do have a little one and all that kind of thing but regardless you know it's like when car can barely make five million dollars at the box office there's some issues with that's, how this is working yeah it, it, see that's the thing it's so crazy like, it's but it's also like maybe little... times have changed too yeah, no, but that's and... sad. i don't know yeah i don't know how you fix it i don't know how it's like um because and it's not good for like the the theaters like um like the, the crunch that like you know the the theater like the theater owners and the workers at amc and stuff experience when like a, a black panther comes out is like terrible like the it's not it's not sustainable or when avatar comes out next week oh yeah, yeah. no i feel like it's gonna like it's gonna like break people it sucks mm -hmm. yeah but i mean it's even like you know like my mom was really really stoked to see the George Clooney Julia Roberts movie that oh, came yeah, out this fall, which did okay at the box office, but it was on demand like the next week, and she was like, "I just watched it there." Man. And <laughs> like, I don't know. I think the Pandora's box has been open. The Hellraiser box has been opened when it comes to that premium VOD, and I'm not sure if there's a come coming back. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, like part of yeah, I think part of it too is that like. So much like word, it's so much harder. Um, we used to all watch the same channels. Yeah. Yeah. Be it like uh, prime time or you know, be it the um, the cable or otherwise, and like you would get commercials and you have to watch those commercials and that would like advertise for these films and everything is like on streaming now, and so much stuff like it's everything is so bifurcated. And it's hard to like have a singular experience anymore. Well, I think that that's what we were talking about too. Another LA thing is these billboards in LA. You can't drive anywhere in Los Angeles without seeing billboards, you know, like 55 Fableman's yeah. billboards or something like that. So you never, you're <laughs> not going to, you're not going to forget it exists. Yeah. It's here. so funny. Like if you drive around in LA, you think the biggest movies in the world are like the Fablemans and Devotion. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah, which is probably not the case in IRL. But it's like when you're driving around, you know, and you get kind of worn down. Remember when we first moved down here, there are ads everywhere for the first season of Blackish, the Anthony, the, that sitcom oh, yeah. on, uh, 
And they were like kind of like Goonie in the pictures and kind of like, eh, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> we were kind of driving around, we're like, I would never watch that. I would never watch that. Then, like, two weeks later, it's like, kind of curious about that. And then cut to like four years later, Jen and I have seen every episode. You're like show. wearing a blackish. Yeah, no, it's like, we're like it's funny. We like this show. <laughs> it wears, you know, it kind of wears you down. You just like, you're driving around like, ah, the ridiculous six. You Sandler. It's probably gonna be terrible. Huh? The ridiculous six. I'll watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Danny Collins. Okay, I'll give that a, a yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. <laughs> And maybe maybe we need this. Maybe that's the answer. We need billboards in all the cities. But I did hear that apparently, the premium video on demand. You know, they charge twenty bucks for a rental mm-hmm. for these movies. That apparently the studios get fourteen dollars per rental out of that twenty. Oh, wow. And that compared to the movie theaters, which take like what is it like sixty seventy percent. On their end, and the, the cut that this the cut the studios get is far more lucrative for premium video on demand than it actually is in the theaters, and no one's really talking about that. But I think that that's a huge factor, too. It's yeah. like, and even like Robert Eggers said, you know, when Northman came out, everyone's like, "Oh, it's a t- disaster." Robert Eggers like made millions on premium VOD, and Robert Eggers didn't get any chance to make another movie. Because of premium VOD, because everyone watched it at home. Yeah, I think my parents watched it on VOD. I, like, I did yeah. too. I couldn't get out of the house, and I well, I wanted to go see it, but you know, that sucks because like all this stuff, it's like the experience is great, and you know, and I I, I, think, yeah, about, I, I think about it all the time. I put all my energy and all my free time into going to the new Bev to see the old movies, and then I'm like, oh, I I used <laughs> used my window. Yeah, you know, it's like when we went and saw Armageddon time. I was like so excited because like finally I get to go out and see a new movie. Yeah, and I think kids like I mean go back to the top of the episode. It's like you know, in 1998 when I was like a sophomore in high school or whatever, mm-hmm. I didn't really have anything else to do. Yeah, and like not that not that this was a bad way to spend your time. We just didn't really have much more to do. And so it was like, yeah, we're going to either go to rent a movie or we're going to go to theater or we're going to, you know, get some food. But the options mm-hmm. are fairly. Now kids have um, a zillion options. Oh, and it's like impossible not to like, like whenever I play a video game, I always have to like listen to like an audiobook or something. So I feel like I'm like using my time as effectively as possible like that's it's like we're so ruined there's too much stuff and it's crazy yeah and so there was kind of like i mean like you know this is gonna you know nostalgia but like i would go with all my friends to these things like i saw deep blue sea with like a group of 12 people that i I was in high school with like because we were just like that's good let's go see the shark movie you know it was great it was a great time i nostalgia for like like seeing like I remember like there was like this these, these three or four years where like when all the, the Transformers movies were coming out every like year or so where like I'd go to the movie theaters with like six friends and then we'd all like fight about what we wanted to see and then like the movie we would always end up like agreeing on because it was like everyone's like third choice or whatever were the shitty Transformers movies yeah. I have like nostalgia for like like I hate watching those like I- well- yeah, it was just like you just go see anything. I saw a midnight screening of the second Austin Powers movie because I was so excited about it. <laughs> and there's just too many other 
you know, outside of the big event movies, nobody's just doing that for every movie like we used to. And no. the prices have also gone up quite yeah. extensively, too. I don't, think, yeah, I don't think kids, like, the only, you know, it's like horror movies. Kids go to see horror movies together. And they always have, but the horror movies and Marvel movies are the only ones. Yeah. I mean, anyone goes to. Uh, but, yeah, it was a fun time going to see everything. <laughs> but this movie was a big hit. Uh, yep. Currently holds a Rotten Tomatoes consensus approval rating of 70 Two percent. Give it eight more points. Um, yeah, put in that eighties. Yeah, give it. It's a B movie. It's like the fifth Thor movie can get a ninety. This can get a ninety. Don't make me throw up. Are we? Are we throwing up now? Yeah, I think we're throwing up now. Um, an entertaining topical thriller that finds Tony Scott on solid form and will smith confirming his action headliner status true mm-hmm. true true um kenneth ran of the los angeles times expressed enjoyment in the movie noting how its pizzazz overcame occasional lapses in moment-to-moment plausibility who gives a shit about plausibility it's an action movie yeah, what, is, what a good time yeah exactly this is like the type of movie where like don't fucking like you're watching Jason Lee jump from building to building. Fuck off. Yeah, like, and it looks so great. Looks yeah, great. That low angle shot of Will Smith in the robe running through that tunnel looks awesome. It's so cool. Or like yeah, yeah or like just Smith like wielding a sawed off shotgun to ward off a helicopter. That's incredible. That's why you watch movies. Shooting it like an inch from Gene Hackman's forehead and Gene not even reacting to the sound at all. It's just like it's a Tuesday. This is fine yeah. with me. I um, like this actually. This is cool. Janet Maslin of the New York Times approved of the film's action-packed sequences, but said that was similar in manner to the rest of the members of Simpson and Bruckheimer's school of empty but sensation-packed filming. Whatever, Janet. Oh, Janet. Uh, Ebert felt the climax edge is perilously close to the ridiculous. True. But but overall enjoyed the film, particularly Voigt and Hackman's performance um many many critics also noted um the continuation feelings on the conversation mm. um and most of them said the conversation was better <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, you know it's it's not fair to compare almost in october of 2016 they um ABC claimed to have greenlit a television series sequel to the film, naturally. Uh, never happened, but you know, if they can find a way to do a television adaptation of one of these things, they will do it. The True Lies yeah. show is finally happening, by the way. <laughs> oh my goodness. I don't even... Yeah, who, yeah, he, part of why that works so well is it's Arnold... Like, who, who, who can fill Arnold Schwarzenegger's? Like, you can't I get know. Chris Pratt and Jamie Lee, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tom Arnold, every, every, every one of them. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, that's what I say. Um, but overall, everyone felt uh, this was a great success. Um, everyone was everyone was filled, made some good, made good money. It was it a uh, wonderful fall movie. It came out November twentieth, nineteen ninety eight. After five fruitful collaborations, this would actually be the final Tony Scott Jerry Bruckheimer collaboration they never work together again of course top gun maverick is dedicated to tony scott and produced by jerry brockheimer but we you know 
we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, Tony Scott, it should be noted, he and Ridley had just launched with White Squall, Scott Free Productions, their massive new uh, production company. Shingle, mm. you've seen their intro in front of all of Ridley's movies, most of Tony's movies to come. Um, they've produced just a ton of stuff, and um, you know they did they did uh, White Squall, GI Jane, and um, a few smaller movies. They did a Hunger TV show, but um, the uh, this one. Um, the uh, pardon me, Enemy of the State was their first <laughs> first smash. Uh, the company though would be solidified with Ridley's next film, mm-hmm. which will be we will be covering in two weeks. Uh, it's a big one. Yeah, it is, of wait. course, Gladiator, the um, you know, world beating film from 2000 best picture one best picture at the oscars i believe if i'm not mistaken which seems weird uh to say out loud one best picture best actor um an absolute smash upon smash um many would consider it a modern classic and um me and don are going to be talking about that nick cave script too Yes. Yeah. Perhaps for too long, but we're yeah. way, the most interesting. And if you want to get a head start on things, two week head start, just research Nick Cave's um, screenplay for Gladiator Part Two, um, which truly when would have been one of the most psychedelic movies ever made. And really? I wish, I wish upon wish that yeah. it. <laughs> It had happened. That's such an insane thing. Like Nick Cave wrote a sequel to Gladiator Two. That is like saying, like because he was like he was out he was like he was like out drinking with Russell Crowe one night or something like that. It had to be how that happened. He's like he's not a like that's not he's a musician. That's yeah. He's he's a great musician, great writer as a musician. Wrote a sequel to Big Fish. Yeah. So. We'll be covering that in two weeks' time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to revisit Gladiator next week. On and Gladiator should be noted is currently streaming on Netflix, Paramount Plus. Nice. Available pretty much everywhere as physical media. Gladiator has never had a problem getting a release in the latest format. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those, like I said, modern classic, modern dad classics of the highest order. Mm-hmm. So. We will be covering that in two weeks. Next week, though, we return to Pandora, where Patrick and I are going. We have our tickets. We've mentioned that before. I'm seeing it in something called Laser 3D. We're seeing Avatar, Way of the Water. James Cameron's return to the box office, return to the cinemas. He's going to save Cine. He's going to do it again. I haven't seen a sight unseen. We have ticket. I have eight, it's eight days until my ticket. Uh, As of this recording, calling it now, Stephen Lang's gonna win Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars, and if yeah. he doesn't, uh, I'm I'm just gonna, gonna protest. Gonna, uh, protest. I'm gonna do uh, some sort of protest of some kind. I don't know. Yeah, and James Cameron's already saying stuff in the press like, 
I don't think it's going to flop because I like it and I have good taste. Like he is hitting home run after home run after home run. It's all happening. Every everyone is like, no one wants to admit it, but as the days have progressed, as we've gotten closer and closer, and like the premieres happened, everyone's like, yeah, he's going to do it again. Yeah, he's done it again, folks. Yeah. He's the king. The king still lives. The king is still the king. We'll be covering it in great detail on next week's episode. Uh, heads up, it's going to be, we're going to spoil everything. Oh, yeah. So, uh, if you ain't seen it, this is a like one week in advance warning. If you have not seen it, just hold off. Yeah, watch, listen to another episode. Listen to the Hong Sang Su episode continues to be popular. I don't yeah, people love it. People are freaks around Sang Su. Hong Sang Su, uh, last week's episode of The Rock is a doozy. Check those out first. After, then after you see Avatar, like everyone else, come hang out with us. We got Avatar. We got Gladiator. We got Year End Spectacular to come and way, way, way more. Ridley, Tony, Jerry, and Michael to come. <laughs> <laughs> scat some scat <laughs> so, yeah a lot of scat um if you thought enemy of the state was a little too prescient kind of freaked you out <laughs> too scary too real too, too scary too real not actually it was too plausible <laughs> for me uh-uh, uh-uh um check in with us at the academy academy podcast at gmail.com let us know if you've got some conspiracy theories if you feel that it's a shared universe and Jason Robards was in Crimson Tide and and <laughs> Anime of the State and Gene Hackman yeah. definitely is the same guy in the conversation in Anime of the State. Let us know on Twitter at the Acadacad. Talk to us about it, you know. And anything else that you may have in mind about this epic season. Um Tony Scott is on a high note. Ridley hitting another high hitting a major high note very yeah. shortly. Uh is it safe to say the boys are back in town? Boys are back in town. Uh, and the boys will be in town next week with, on Pandora with the Navi. Pandora. We're going to work on it really hard. I'm going to learn how to hold my breath for 75 minutes. Patrick, I think you're about the same. And, I've got the Navi surgery. I have a head tail now. Exactly. Shove it into a plant. Make it fly. Um, poor Patrick. I'm done. We will see you next week on the Academy Academy. The way the water looms large. <laughs> I gotta learn some uh, Pandoran before uh, before the, the Navi language yeah. before, before next week. Yeah, I'm gonna lose myself in this one. I think I'm gonna become one of those people who never want to leave. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna happen to me. I'm, n- I'm never gonna record the Gladiator episode. It's gonna be my last episode next week. I'm gonna go live on Pandora. Bye, family. <laughs> You're moving to Orlando. <laughs> Close <Good>. enough. <laughs> <laughs>